Don't waste your years stressing over things you can't control. The only thing you have control over are your own actions and your behaviors. You can't control other people. And the minute that you try to do that, it's a problem, right? All we can do is guide and lead and model. Guide, lead, model. Guide, lead, model. And if people catch on, great. If they don't, they'll fall off eventually. And that's okay, because they'll find somebody that they can be guided and led and that they'll want to follow. It's the process of leadership evolution. Welcome to the Voices of Inclusion podcast, the place where you'll hear strategic and tactical advice shared by diversity, equity, and inclusion experts. This podcast is brought to you by Matheson.io, the world's first DEI operating system. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to Matheson.io. The link to connect with us is in the description. Let's get back to the episode. All right, so Frederica, I know you as an incredible DEI expert, a a leader and facilitator of DEI training, but for people that don't know, uh, could you let our listeners know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, wow, that's a loaded question. So I'll I'll try to stay within the bounds of the question that you asked. And so um, I am a, what I would consider to be an expert in the field of inclusive leadership, which would include um, leadership effectiveness, as well as um, diversity, because they kind of combine, right? When we're inclusive leaders, we are much stronger. And so um, being in that space, I really focus on leadership effectiveness. And uh, so I have a consultancy, a management consultancy, and basically I do a lot of freelance work and I also work with other clients um, in the space of you know effective leadership, team leadership, and diversity. And so that's what I do. And it looks like executive coaching, uh, facilitating workshops, masterminds, um, as well as doing things like this, podcasts and other speaking engagements. I'm also a professional speaker. So that's a little bit about what I do. I'm going to keep it right there because I can go on and on. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. Um, So after being in boardrooms with many leaders throughout your career journey, um, when we talk about DEIB, what are the one or two most impactful decisions that leaders need to make in order to make sure their organization is is more inclusive? Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to take this off the prescriptive route because I don't live in that space. And so for anybody that is a little bit faint of heart, you know, just it'll be all right. Um, So the two things that I think are really important really don't have anything to do with uh, projects and strategy and all these things that we like to do and all these programs. It is two things that leaders absolutely need to do. They need to be vulnerable and they need to be authentic. And when leaders can come to the table from that vantage point, they're really able to make progress around culture evolution. Because what happens is we want to hide, we we don't want our real self to come out often. Leaders, many times in the higher up the organization they get, um, the more guarded they get. And I, and I understand that, right? There's definitely some, uh, there's boundaries there. But what we forget is that you know, we have to be real. We have to be human. And the organization and employees in the organization, they look up to their leaders. They learn how to lead and what leadership is through what they see the leaders do. And so we're being vulnerable and authentic in the way that we do things. 
we are demonstrating the behaviors that we want our teams to demonstrate because in order for us to be inclusive, we have to be self-aware enough to be open to things that we're not comfortable with. And what we tend to do is become very guarded about who we are because we don't want to be judged when we don't understand something. Because oftentimes leaders feel like they have to be in control. I would argue that, yes, there are absolutely things that you need to be control about and you need to be able to balance. But I also think that it's really important that as a leader, you need to be fluid and effective and you need to come through. And the only way that you can come through is by being self-aware. And the only way that you can be self-aware is by being vulnerable and authentic because then it opens up the conversation. And we learn so much more about ourselves when we are more open to having a conversation. So I know that was a long-winded answer, but. When it comes to being real and being your authentic self, I just love the fact, it made me laugh, but um, when you said people are afraid to show the real version of themselves, yeah. um, especially as you climb the ladder. Um, and I feel like some people are more, basically a, a little bit more open to sharing certain details about themselves, yep. such as like, hey, my favorite football team, or yep. this is where I travel on the weekends. Yep. But but what about the, the real you? Um, could you talk a little bit about like what the real you could look like to yeah. someone? Yeah, so it's really easy when we're talking about things that aren't um, part of, you know, how our operating system or our framework is built, right? It's, and when I say that, I mean, you know, how we think um, and our actions drive our behavior. You know, the way that we think really is the indicator of our actions. Our actions are the things that, that get the results and what people see, right? And so when we are thinking about um, being our authentic self, <laughs> it's about who do we show up? How do we show up when we're not comfortable? How do we show up when we don't have a script? How do we show up when we might get judged? Right. And, and many times leaders want to be very careful about, you know, how others judge them because there's a persona that they have created that allows them to be effective in what they do. But what I'll say is people that are, have a strong EQ, which is emotional intelligence can pick up on the guardedness. And so your team will only trust you as far as you allow them to. Um, and so when I talk about being authentic, it's not about, you know, coming to work and popping your gum or, you know, twirling your hair, whatever our little bad habits that we have as human beings. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that little nonsense. I'm talking about when we, and this is probably more um, something that people can relate to. Something happens in the office. It's uncomfortable. Do you try to gloss it over? Do you confront it and really allow yourself to be vulnerable and experience everything that's happening? Um, or are you guarded because you need to make sure that everybody feels like you're in control? And I'm not talking about falling out crying or acting like you don't know what to no, know. But hey, you know, maybe something really devastating happened um, in the office where there was a really egregious action that took place, whether it be toward, um, uh, you know, another coworker or something that we witnessed or whatever. I mean, I, I think back, back on the George Floyd incident and I can't help but think back on that because there were so many different dynamics that were going on 
And with leaders, there was two ends of the gamut. One, everything is under control. Everything's under control. We're going to keep things going and we're going to let everybody talk and blah, 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 blah. And then we had other leaders that went through the experience that really allowed themselves to feel and really allowed themselves to have that O-S-H moment, right? That said, holy cow, you know, where do I fit in all of this? And to be quite frank, all of us should have had that experience, not just um, people that aren't people of color. Everybody should have had that experience. And if you didn't, then you need to, you know, you need to explore that a little bit more. So when I talk about being authentic, how do you show up when you're not in control? Right. Because that's the piece that allows you to be vulnerable. And like I said, it's not about, um, you know, being sloppy with it. It's just about being human. Right. Because to me, leading is being human. Managing is, you know, a little bit more prescriptive. You know, we learned that and we learn how to manage through, you know, all the degrees that we get and all the processes that we can learn. But we learn how to lead through who we are as people and in and, and our authentic being the very, you know, the very thing that makes up who we are as people. Uh, and people will follow leaders. They don't follow managers. And so why do they follow leaders? Because there's some level of that person or that individual that inspires or it motivates. And what leaders make the mistake in believing is that it's the perfection that people want to follow and it isn't. The people that are being, I want to say this really nicely, the people that are being, um, I'll just use the nice word ambitious, those that want to rise up, you know, the ladder and they're, they're looking at, you know, how do I dot my I's and cross my T's? But for the people that want to learn how to live in the office and how to operate within a culture and be successful with others and be successful as a team and as a whole and really be part of it, well, they're following the leader when they fall. They're following the leader when they you know, aren't perfect and they don't know the answer. People are paying the most attention to leaders and people in general when we go through the biggest trials. I, you know, I had that revelation and I'll give you my own example. I had that revelation, young leader in the business. I was leading a pretty large team of sales um, folks and I've had a lot of mishaps along the way. You know, I was kind of the only, you know, in, in, in the organization in a lot of different respects, especially the level that I was at. And I made a lot of mistakes and, um, and I really beat myself up for those mistakes because everything that I saw around me was perfection. Right. And I thought that that's what I needed to be. And so one day, one of my uh, wasn't even one of my direct reports. It was one of my direct reports, direct reports. Right. Um, they came to me and said, you know, I just wanted to take a moment to just thank you for being you, because you might not know it. And I felt like you needed to hear it. But we really, really respect you so much because we watched you go through all the struggles and you stayed consistent with who you were. And it really showed us what leadership was all about. And I probably said that a little, a little bit differently than she said it, but that's really what it, you know, that's really a context of what she was saying. And when I tell you that thing messed me up, Robert, that thing messed me up. I had, I'm walking around in my mind feeling like I'm a bumbling idiot, right? And, and nobody respects me. And here comes you know, somebody that's a couple levels down in the organization that's under me just to, to let me know, you know, and to encourage me um, as I'm inspiring them. And, and that just, 
put leadership in perspective for me, that it really is about being human. There is no perfection. Where there is too much perfection, there's a whole lot of stuff going on, a whole lot of wax on the top. <laughs> I like to say, right? And so when you start peeling the layers back, what's really underneath there? And so I had to learn to make it okay to be myself. And I got to say, you know, the workforce that I'm seeing today, right? Because that have had to have happened maybe 15 years ago. But the workforce that I'm seeing today that I'm loving is really that people are really being more of themselves and they're really being more vulnerable. Is it happening everywhere? No, there's definitely some traditional stuff that I see a lot, especially in larger organizations, but I'm seeing much, much more of the other. And to me, that is inspiring because I'm also seeing the brilliance that's being released through that, right? I'm seeing younger people coming into the organization and really feeling like they make a difference because they don't have to follow some protocol before they can feel like they're valued. And a lot of times we can lose the value in people when we can't see what they, or allow uh, them to, to see how we appreciate what they bring to the table, even as a frontline person, right? Everybody brings value to the organization. And the more that we water our gardens and the gardens to me are, you know, the people that really represent our organization, the more that we're going to flourish. Right. So recognizing people for their value and the brilliance that they bring, even if they are whatever position they hold. Um, I love that advice because yep. um, I think one of the other things is like, hey, a person might be authentic, maybe on LinkedIn, for instance, and then someone may perceive that as them being performative. Yep. Um, and that's like that's like a small percentage of people, maybe. But um, I think that's like the double edged sword. Um, yeah. What do you think about that whole performative activism conversation? Let me tell you something. That's just, okay. So <laughs> I, you know, I, that is a lot of what's weaved into this culture today. Right. And it is because of the acceptance that comes along with it. That's why it is that. Right. And we can be performative in some respects, as long as we are not compromising our integrity, because all a leader has is their integrity. Because the minute something goes wrong, if we're being performative, people are going to notice it when you are using it to cover something up. As long as everything is, is fine and daisies, it, it usually will align because, you know, it's coming through. But the minute you try to use that mess to, to cover up, people can see it's like a Teflon. And I'm not going to use the other terminology because I think people know what I'm talking about. But it's, you know, it, it, it's just, oh, wow, it's all shiny and pretty. Look at that. Nothing's all shiny and pretty all the time. People are not happy and happy-go-lucky all of the time. You know, it, 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 the sun does not shine on my day every single day, right? There are things that can rattle us. And I, you know, I have this a girlfriend of mine. She's actually a colleague, but I call her a girlfriend because I just love her dearly. And she wrote this awesome book called Happiness is a Habit. You got to check it out. Her name is Michelle. Um, Phillips. And she wrote this awesome book, Happiness is a Habit. And when I tell you this woman lives and walks that, and it is very authentic for her. And one day I could tell you this, and I really respected her for this. Somebody had challenged her, her authenticity in that area. And I don't remember what happened. This happened a few years back. And she had the most poignant post that she put out there that really showed her authenticity, her humanness, and all of that. 
And she never, ever lost the thread of joy that she honestly walks with. And to me, that's what I'm talking about. That's where when the rubber meets the road, if you really walk in joy, the way that you address the things that happen in your life that could be adversity, there's still a level of authentic joy in it, even if you have to address things that are unpleasant, right? But if you come across and you're trying to do that in a way that's just, you know, oh, it's fine, it's perfect, and I'm happy, and, you know, I call it right now because all of us got something, you know, all of us got a button that, that gets pushed somewhere. But it's, you know, how do we handle the button that's being pushed? For me, honestly, I like to look at things for the reality of, of, you know, of where they're at. I don't, I try not to let things stress me out, especially if I don't have control over them. And if I could give anybody any advice, don't waste your years stressing over things you can't control. The only thing you have control over are your own actions and your behaviors. You can't control other people. And the minute that you try to do that, it's a problem, right? All we can do is guide and lead and model. Guide, lead, model. Guide, lead, model. And if people catch on, great. If they don't, they'll fall off eventually. And that's okay, because they'll find somebody that they can be guided and led and that they'll want to follow. You know, it's the process of leadership evolution. That's amazing. And so when we think about the evolution of a person, um, this brings me to the next uh, question, which is when we think about the low numbers of diverse mid to senior level leaders, a common solution to that issue is would a leadership development program be the solution? Um, and you have an awesome perspective on this. So I wanted to uh, ask you about that. Shoot, I know I saw that and I'm like, I wonder which, I don't know. I said sometimes I don't remember what I say. So I'm just going to throw it out here, you know, honestly, right? So I've got two perspectives. When you're thinking about mid-level leaders, right, um, and leadership development, there's definitely some level of leadership development that's needed, but it's not prescriptive. It really is around how do we drive self-awareness? Because like I said a little bit earlier, self-awareness is really the key to leadership. And so having programs where people can learn about themselves and their impact on others, that's the kind of leadership development that's needed because there's all types out there. There's types that'll, you know, you teach you the pillars of leadership, um, but, you know, true leadership development is an experience, right? People experience it. They walk away learning more about themselves, but they also go through a process of experiencing the impact of the, of the actions that they've taken. And so to me, when we think about leadership development, it really is around experiential leadership development. And a lot of times they call them um, uh, immersive leadership um, you know, uh, exercises or challenges and things of that nature, because that's when we learn a lot about ourselves. Now, I'll tell you when I'm talking about folks that are at higher levels, like in the very, very senior levels of the organization, that CEO team, the only way we diversify there is by being intentional. Um, the challenge is that people get very territorial at that level, and rightfully so. That's high power, high pay, bread and butter, career, all that. And I get that. I really, really do. But if we're really being intentional about bringing diversity into an organization and really, you know, practicing inclusion, then we need to see it at all levels. And the only way to do that at the very upper echelons is everybody has to agree that, you know what, maybe I'm going to shift from this table and sit at another one so somebody else can sit here. So it's not about losing your power or your position. It's about you taking it somewhere else. 
instead of creating this boys club or this club where nobody else can be a part of. And I kind of am going to stay here for 20 and 30 and 40 years and nobody else can get in here unless they look like us and they act like us and we're comfortable with them. But if we're really challenging ourselves to diversify, then we got to challenge ourselves to diversify. And that means maybe moving to a different seat at a, at a different table, which then in turn, you will grow as well. So would that look like um, bringing in maybe a VP or even someone that is considered um, like maybe a deputy to that person, having them in the meeting or should they be doing projects? Um, how do you introduce a person to that environment if they're not necessarily used to it yet? So here's the thing. It's, it's at that level, it has to be apples to apples, right? And so in some respects, yes, there's some grooming that would need to take place if the talent resided within the organization, because that is a very, very specific skill set. And dependent upon the industry that you're in, they have to be very selective about that, right? So there are some organizations where the grooming can happen, uh, but the promotion may not happen there, but it may happen there. It really, really depends. The challenge is making sure that you have the right talent in the organization in order to be able to progress them um, to that place and that they will be successful because the success doesn't happen just because you put somebody in a position. Everything within the organization and the culture has to support that because somebody that's coming in that's different, whether it's somebody gender-wise, um, somebody that is uh, race or culture or anything like that, um, that's kind of on their own, you gotta have a certain skin in order to, to, to survive at that level. Right. You got to have a certain skin to survive at that director level. I'm telling you that from experience. Right. It is oftentimes things that you have to do um, that you you need to be willing to let things go in order to get a voice in the room, because if you allow yourself to get caught up and hung up on on things that don't really matter. And when I say don't really matter, um, I mean you've got to claim your seat at that level. Nobody's giving it to you. Nobody's giving you an out of boy or out of girl or a pat on the back when you're doing things. Well, that, that, that is not happening. Um, there are different things that you need to do in order to position yourself to get ready for that and mentors that you need to have and coaches that you need to have and be very realistic in the fact that you need to be in the right place, you know, to be able to get to that level. And you also need to, um, know that there's some people that just don't possess the level of competencies needed to, to be successful at that level. And we have to be honest about that. What has made me crazy is watching people getting promoted into some of these senior level roles that clearly are not ready yet. Clearly not ready yet. Maybe in a few years, but the, uh, the company is rushing to, I got to bring some color in here. Okay, we'll find somebody that is qualified to be at that level, to be there, that can really create the, 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 um, the standard and the, and, 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 and the model for what it can look like to make it realistic for other people to go, whoa, this is really good. And whoa, this is a really good, you know, add to the organization. Cause it is not, you're not doing the person that isn't ready to be at that level of favor yet because they don't know how to navigate those politics. And they end up getting frustrated because it's just not working. And it's not that they can't do the job. They weren't ready yet. And there wasn't the support systems put in place because it, it, because they were just put there to satisfy a number. And I find that to be really infuriating because it, then it makes it look like, see, we did it. And now they can't, you know, see, they can't perform at that level. It's bull. 
You know what? If everybody, we've got to look at things from apples to apples. Look at how you got here and the things that, that were in place in order for you to be successful here. We need to do the same or similar things for somebody that is different that is going there, right? And to be quite honest, moving up that ladder looks different for people that are, are not part of the majority. It just, it looks different. And so they need different levels of support, right? And I'm not talking about overcompensating for, for maybe things that they, they don't know, but there are different levels of support. And most times leaders at that level, they usually have organizations outside of that where they have support mechanisms that are, they're interfacing with people that are at their level um, and in their, you know, that specific group where they get the support from. And quite frankly, if they don't get what they need from the place that they're in, they'll leave in a heart because somebody else will pick them up somewhere else. You know, it's, it's complicated. One of the realest convers- yeah. This is one of the realest conversations we've ever had. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you think one the top two or three skills are? Is it communication or executive leadership development? Um, maybe like personal polish. I know that's kind of a soft skill, but, um, but what do you think? Yeah. At that level, a couple things, you have got to be politically savvy. There, there's no question. Hands down. You have to be politically savvy. It is not black and white. Decisions are not made black and white at that CEO level. It's just not. There are some things. Yes, but most things. No, you've got to know how to interact with not only your team, you know, your CEO team, you got to know how to interact with the board. You got to know how to interact with shareholders or stakeholders, depending upon what type of company it is. And you need to know how to interact with people, um, you know, below you in the organization. And those things can be quite complex. And it does take some learning, right? You don't know these things overnight. Everybody has to learn them. Um, But some people have a stomach for it. Some people don't. So I would say politically savvy is one. Um, The other is going to be... um, and this is, I deal with this a lot in my executive coaching, people trying to get to that level. You really have got to get to the place where you're not looking for permission to make decisions. Oftentimes, I find some of the most brilliant people that are ready for the next level, but they're not ready to take the risk. And you have to take the risks. You, see, you cannot be risk averse at that level. Um, may you crash and burn? I have seen some of the best crash and burn but they're the best success stories in the long run because we learn from those mistakes. You know, I've seen people fired for, for stuff, but I also have seen them picked up somewhere else and then they've excelled and maybe not overnight, but years later, because they learned from that. Right. Because sometimes there's things that we need to learn and we're so afraid to make the mistake, but if we don't make the mistake, we don't, we're not going to reap the rewards that come from the comeback Right. So that's another one. Right. We have to not be risk averse. And then last but not least, I believe that, you know, you're only giving me three, but integrity is huge. Um, And that's because what's one of my personal value systems. I think it's it's hugely important for um, a leader to to say what they mean and to walk the talk, because when you don't, you're going to lose people. You're going to lose people from a 360 perspective. Um, because it's just going to look like, you know, talk show, right? And, and you're not really living it. It can be hard at that level. It sounds so easy. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got integrity. And you get up there and you see that your integrity, it gets challenging, the decisions that you make. Really challenging. Oh, 
So when we talk about um, the political uh, savviness that a person might have to have, what's maybe like a, a thing that you should do or maybe should not do um, when it comes to ascending to that level? First off, you need to listen. And in the listening, oftentimes you will get the answers that you need and the navigation that you need in order to proceed. The other thing is you need to be very de decisive, direct, and definitive about the words that you use and the way that you communicate. So communication, to your point, is huge. Can you communicate in a clear, concise manner that people can understand? At top levels of the organization, at bottom levels of the organization, it sounds easier than it is. Because at that level, if you think about it, you know, like some of these things that I'm saying, you don't have to take my word for it. Do some observation of some of the highest level leaders that you know, whether they're within your organization or just, you know, people out there, on, you know, in the world, leader, you know, leaders everywhere. They are very, very, very decisive about their communication. And it's really important to do that because if you're a wordy person, it's difficult. I'm using that word pretty loosely um, because you'll lose people. People in power don't have time. They just they don't have time to sit down and give gab, right? And so you need to be able to learn how to communicate in a way that is effective. Um, and that takes time sometimes to shape that. So for a person that kind of wants to get in the gym of communication or even that realm, um, what should they be doing? Should they like write blogs? Should they, what should they do in order to uh, improve those skills on their own time? They need to expose themselves more. So it's as you're moving up in the organization, observe how the more successful leaders, and when I say successful leaders, I'm not talking about successful managers, I'm talking about successful leaders, people that you feel are influential to you, people that motivate you, inspire you. Those are the people you want to look at. Not necessarily how fast somebody's moving up in the organization, but who really has the influence, right? Who really is, um, everybody knows that one rock star leader in their organization. So observe, how are they communicating? What are they doing? And you're not going to mimic somebody else. You've got to figure out, you know, what your communication style is. So I would say, even let me back it up. First and foremost, do a little um, homework on what your communication style is. There's a lot of different programs out there. There's DISC and there's Myers-Briggs and there's Hogan and there's so many of them. Um, get yourself a coach, get yourself a really good executive coach um, that works at that level as you're moving up and through the organization. Uh, most and a lot of the leaders that I work with that I really enjoy the most are at that director and that senior um, director and VP level because they're still growing. They're still trying to, you know, break through. And it's really just a matter of refining them at that point. It's not building. Um, because it's little things that are getting in their way and changing it. And you see the change. It's, it's oh, brilliant. I love it. I was having a conversation with one of my coaches yesterday and she's just, I'm so proud of her, but she's, um, you know, I just love it when, when I see that um, happening. And so, you know, find yourself a coach or a mentor. You need that in order to, to, to be self more self-aware because unless somebody's telling you, you're going to, you know, you're not going to know. Absolutely. So uh, what are some ways that team members can serve as allies? You know, we have this conversation around allyship a lot. You know, how can people become better allies to their teams? Um, and also, do you have any examples of allyship that you could share with us? Yeah. So when you're talking about allies, you're talking about 
um, for people that aren't getting a seat at the table or helping others, you know, connect with, you know, get connections in places in the organization that they haven't had access to? Is that what you mean? Like as they're moving up, helping them get their voice yeah. in the room? I think allies in the sense of, well, every sense of the word, it could be for underrepresented people, but it could also be um, just helping people just mm -hmm. in general. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of intersectionality when it comes to yeah. allyship, so. Yeah, so exactly what I was just asking, that's, that's exactly what it is, right? It is, so when you are, moving up in the organization, I don't care what color, gender, anybody that's moving up in the organization, you need an ally that's going to allow your ideas to get into the room, right? Because oftentimes leader teams are not so open to just letting anybody um, contribute in the room, right? And so as you're being groomed and as you're being, that ally is the person that might tee up something that maybe you had a discussion with them about and go, hey, you know, um, let's bring Robert in to talk about um, X, Y, and Z. I had a great conversation with him the other day, just exactly what we're talking about. And they're able to tee it up in a way that the room realizes there's some value in, in being able to bring Robert into the room, right? Um, that's what an ally is. They're not talking for you. They're teeing the conversation up so that others know this person has value and I'm endorsing them. So you know, let, let's bring them in, right? This is how sometimes we get stretch projects. Stretch projects come from somebody stepping up and saying, hey, I think they're ready, right? That's an ally. What an ally isn't is a savior, meaning that they feel like instead of just propping the door open for you so you can come in and do your thing, they feel like they need to bring you into the room and talk for you. And that is not an ally. That's, that's like a savior, somebody trying to save you, right? And so an ally is somebody that props the door open, that gives you the leg up, the person that um, helps others that haven't had exposure to you, have exposure to you, and in a credible way, because they have credibility with you know, or influence with whatever that group is, right? And so allyship is critically important as you're moving up in the organization, because that's the only way we get into the doors that we weren't able to get into. You can't get in there just because you said X, Y, and Z. You've got to get in there because somebody saw something in you and they're willing to put their neck out for you. They're willing to um, vouch for you so that you can get your voice in the room and be able to share. But that's what an ally does. They really help you along and help you um, get, you know, get exposure in some of those next levels so other people can see what they see in you. Love that. Um, and so I think this has been a really impactful conversation, Frederick, but um, you know, if there was one action that you would urge our DEI listeners to take after listening to this, um, what might? Um, so it really depends on what they want to accomplish, right? So the first thing that I would say, understand where you truly stand in, in the area of DEI, right? And you may remember, Robert, when I did that training, I showed this model, right, of the four stages of competency. And I, to this day, I think that that's just one of the most self, you know, the most important um, models that you can use as you start this journey in DEI. And it's got four key areas. I would challenge anybody that's in the DEI space to um, understand these four areas and they can look up four, four stages of competence. It's not something I created, it's out there. Um, and so the first stage is what we call unconscious incompetence, meaning I don't know what I don't know. How do I handle things when a bias is brought to my attention, right? It doesn't mean you woke up this morning and you intended to offend somebody. Nobody 
Nobody gets up saying, I want to do that. But we all have a tendency to do that in some way, shape, or form unintentionally, right? And so when that happens, what do you do with it? Right, because when, when we, what we call unconscious incompetence, meaning you have a bias that you don't know about until somebody tells you. And then once somebody tells you, then that's what we call conscious incompetence. Now I know what I didn't know. And how am I gonna respond to that? People have different responses to that. One could be, now everybody, everybody around them needs to understand what that is, right? And then the other side of that is, I have to quietly do some in, in, inspection as to, whoa, you know, I really got to internalize this because I didn't know that it existed. And now I got to process what, I, you know, what do I do with this? And then anything in between. The next stage is what we call conscious competence, meaning I know about it, I'm aware of it, and I am in progress trying to get better, right? In progress trying to get better. What does that look like? And then as you've been doing that for a long period of time, you hopefully will get to a place of what we call conscious, um, unconscious competence, meaning you, you're self-aware in that area, fully self-aware, nothing's gonna give you a blind spot, although it can happen, <laughs> right? We can start cruising along and, and it can happen. Um, the example I, I know I gave you before, and I'm not gonna run through that whole example, but I will throw out there, just think about how the George Floyd situation impacted you. What, what places of unconscious incompetence came up for you while that was going on in our culture? And I don't care what color you are, something came up, something came up, right? And so kind of walk yourself through that honestly and see what happened there. Because being able to understand how you can walk through those stages will help you as a DEI person to keep yourself very self-aware and to keep you humble. Because nobody is perfect. I don't care if you're underrepresented, that doesn't mean you're perfect and that you don't have biases. Every single one of us has biases. We were born with them. It's the way human beings are wired. And so, you know, have, you know, that what I love about that model is it really builds empathy because all of us are somewhere in that model on some topic, right? So that's what I would say. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Frederica, for just dropping so many gems um, for today's podcast. Um, and I hope you have an amazing day. It was great speaking with you. Absolutely. Thanks for that. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so the way that people can get in touch with me, um, they certainly can look me up on LinkedIn under my name, Frederica Peterson, and you'll see me in an orange shirt. Well, it's going to change because I got new pictures. Or um, they can go to my website and that way they can get everywhere. And what's my website? Frederica Peterson Consulting. Very easy. Uh, and so they can just put that in there and find me and connect with me in that way. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io and book a call to speak with us. The link is in the description. We're looking forward to connecting with you next time.